I titled the sermon, God's Sovereign Plan of Salvation, because I believe what we will see from this passage this morning is that God's sovereign plan of salvation cannot and will not be thwarted, stopped, hindered, prevented, or frustrated by human weakness, failure, or sin. And so that's what we hope to see in this passage this morning. So please open your Bibles, if you have not already, to Genesis chapter 20, and let's read God's word together. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned to Gerar. And Abram said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against her, against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did these things? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do for me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. 
To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children, for the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Passage starts in verse 1 where we see Abraham is journeying from there towards the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur and he also sojourned to Gerar. And there are three questions that immediately came to my mind as I read this. Where is from there that we read? And why did he journey? And why did he sojourn? And so in order to answer those questions, we have to look back into Genesis. And the last place we saw Abraham, the place that he journeyed from, is found in chapter 19. And if you can look at verse 27 and 28 of chapter 19, it says, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like smoke from a furnace. So the last place we saw Abraham is when he stood by the oaks of Mamre, which is where the Lord appeared to him in chapter 18, and he observed how God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so there are some commentators who have suggested that the reason that Abraham journeyed from there was because he was fearful. He saw God destroy these cities. And although there may be some truth, I don't think that is the full answer. I truly think the answer to the question why Abraham journeyed from there and why he sojourned was not only because, or not even at all maybe, because of fear, but because he was led to journey by God's Holy Spirit. Remember when God first called Abraham. This is in Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And we see in verse 4 of that chapter that Abraham went as the Lord told him. Abram moved because God called him to do so, and he sojourned because he obeyed God's voice. The land that I will show you. And Abram went as the Lord told him. And so I believe that Abram journeyed and he sojourned because God was sovereignly leading him to do those things. And I think it's important for us to know that because the rest of this chapter is kind of confusing of what the heck is happening here. And I think it's good for us to know that this happened in God's sovereign plan for Abraham. He did not just travel because he was fearful and now this happened. God was leading Abraham where he was going. 
And so we see this man of faith, this man who is now sojourning where God is leading him. And if you're anything like me, you would expect with me to see a righteous and upright man. We expect him to have a high standard of human righteousness, to live a pure life among the Philistines, and to be exemplary to all the nations that he come across. And therefore, it catches us off guard when we see him fall again into an old and familiar sin. Abraham once again lies about who Sarah is, saying, she's my sister, which is a half-truth, but as parents tell their children, a half-truth is just a lie, it's just deception, and Abraham lied again. The first time he lied about her being his sister was to Pharaoh when in chapter 12 of Genesis, Abram and Sarai sojourned to Egypt and he did the exact same thing out of fear for his life. He lied and that time Pharaoh took Sarah into his house. And the result of that was that the Lord greatly afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai. She was still Sarai, Abram's wife. And here we are, several chapters later, several years later, and again we see Abraham lying about who Sarai was, sinning by not trusting his faithful God to protect his life. And again, she's taken by a king. This time, though, there seems to be a little bit more seriousness when we read this. There is a a little bit of a tension when we read this. You see, it is not long ago that the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, within one year, Sarah would have a boy by you, and he will be in the lineage of the Savior of the world, the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. So allowing this pagan king to take his wife after he was promised by the Lord that within one year he would have a son is a flagrant display of his distrust in God. And it seems to have the opportunity to seriously jeopardize God's plan, his sovereign plan of salvation through the seed of Abraham. But here's the good news. God's sovereign plan of salvation cannot and will not be thwarted by human weakness or failure or sin. Not even Abraham's. You see, God made a a covenant with Abraham. And God would honor and remember his covenant even if Abraham did not. This is what God said of himself when he spoke to Moses in Genesis 15. Sorry, Genesis 9 and verse 15. He said to Moses, I will remember my covenant that is between you and me. 
And so God revealed in that moment who he is. He said, I am a covenant-keeping God, and Abraham's sin is not going to nullify or dissolve the covenant that God has made with Abraham. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, oh, it is not my remembering God It is God remembering me which is the grounds for my safety. It is not my laying hold of his covenant, but his covenant laying hold of me. And this is exactly what we see in this passage this morning. Abraham is not laying hold of God's covenant. He's not believing what God told him, but God's covenant is laying hold of him. See, Abimelech was the king of Gerar, a place that Abraham described is there is no fear of God in this place. And even though there seemed to be some indications that this king feared God, it is not explicitly stated. What we do see is that he is a man of integrity and for reasons known only to God, he decided that he will use Abimelech and include this scenario to demonstrate his sovereign reign to protect his covenant with Abraham and to preserve this sovereign plan of salvation through Abraham's lineage. So we see in verse 3 that God appeared to Abimelech in a dream and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man. I think it goes without arguing that if God speaks to any of us and his opening words are, You are a dead man, you are a dead woman, that the rest of your night's sleep will not be sound. (laughs) That he will get our attention And he sure did get Abimelech's attention. Just like in the case of Pharaoh, we see that Abraham's sin has the potential to bring great calamity to this king and his house, even death. Abimelech, though, has not approached Sarah, meaning he has not slept with her. And in his dream, he makes a plea to God, arguing that he acted Innocently and in the integrity of his heart. He uses similar language than what Abraham used in chapter 18 when he asked God, will you kill the righteous with the wicked in Sodom and Gomorrah? And of course, God said, I will not kill the righteous with the wicked. And we saw that he was true to that because he saved Lot and his family. And here again, God is faithful and gracious to Abimelech and said that if you return Sarah, you will not die. And then we get to verse 6. Look at verse 6 with me. I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And then he said, it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. 
Now we have to stop here and consider the amazing grace that is on display right here in those few words. God intervened in a supernatural and in a miraculous way to stop Abimelech, a a mighty king, from sleeping with this woman who he could just take for himself. There was no person on earth who could have gone to this king and said, leave her alone. He would not have listened. But God did not let him touch her. He did not let him sin. God intervened into that situation in a miraculous way. And we shouldn't let that pass by us quickly when we read it. Because whenever God intervenes in our lives... When he redirects our steps, when he breaks into our hard hearts to show us our sin, or even unknowingly to us keep us from sinning against him, it is abounding grace. And I wonder if we ever realize on a day-to-day basis how God is keeping us how he's intervening in our lives, how often he keeps us from sinning against him, how often he protects us from others sinning against us. His grace by intervening into our lives is amazing. Remember Proverbs 21 verse 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. That is exactly what we see here. Although the mighty King Abimelech, who had the authority to go and take Sarah and take her for himself, although he had that authority, his actions with her, her who is in covenant with God, with Abraham, is not up to him. He could take her, but God protected her. He has not approached Sarah, not because of some inherent goodness in him. We need to realize this. He did not approach Sarah because the sovereign king of heaven kept him from touching her. See, if Sarah slept with this king, And later she became pregnant, even by Abraham. There would have been a dispute about who this son to be born was. It would have been a huge issue in terms of the lineage of our Savior. And so God in his wisdom and his might, intervened and stopped this king from sleeping with this woman in an amazing way. God intervened because his sovereign plan of salvation was not going to be thwarted by the actions of this king. God reigned over her life. And so God said to Abimelech to return Sarah to Abram. Abimelech, not postponing his obedience, you're a dead man, 
rose early in the morning, called his servants to tell them, and then he called Abraham. He wasted no time in doing as God told him. And even though he challenged Abraham, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? And even though all he got was an excuse, oh, she is really my sister. He did not get a good answer. He did not get an excuse. And yet Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah to him with a thousand pieces of silver. And even more, unlike Pharaoh who sent him away with Sarai, his wife, Abimelech's response was, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. It's amazing to see that even after Abraham lied to him and almost caused great calamity on Abimelech and his household, God's favor because of the covenant is still on Abraham. And towards the end of the chapter, we see the Amazing account of Abraham praying for Abimelech and God healing Abimelech and also his wife and female slaves for the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech. God's covenant partner, Abraham, who nearly brought death to Abimelech in his, in, by his deceitfulness is still the means by which God gives life and blessing to this king. That is because he was in covenant with God. So we have to ask, was Abraham restored and accepted and used by God because of his impeccable character or his sinless life? No. It was because in his sovereign plan, God elected this man, Abraham, to be his representative, to be his prophet, to be the chosen one to carry the lineage of Christ. He did not deserve it. He did not earn it. It was because of God's choosing only. You realize, church, that this passage is amazingly good news for you and me. Amen. <laughs> it is really good news for us because we serve a God that does not change. And because we serve a God that does not change and we see what we've seen here, we know that the truths that we see in this passage is applicable to us. And so I want to spend some time drawing only three parallels from this passage to us here this morning and see how this applies to us. There are more, but I selected three. I'm going to start by this. Abraham was called by God. So we looked briefly at Genesis 12 earlier where the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is the place where we see God choosing Abraham, who was then Abram, to follow him and serve him to accomplish his purpose. And if we ask, why Abram? We cannot come up with a good answer 
He was not chosen because he was from a lofty family. He was not chosen because he displayed amazing righteousness. He was not chosen because he was sinless before God. He was not chosen because fill in anything you want in that sentence. Abraham was chosen by God because God sovereignly decided to choose him, period. Amen. It's difficult sometimes to think that. There is no human explanation, church, for why God chose him. It was God's calling, it was God's initiative, it was God's plan, and it was God's grace that he called this man, Abraham, to be the father of the lineage of Christ. And Abraham can't say, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. If you are a Christian here this morning, you were called by God in the same way that Abraham was called by God. Listen to Jesus speaking in John 6, verse 37. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. If you are a Christian, if you have come to Christ, meaning that you have repented of your sin, you have turned away from your sin, you have placed your hope in the finished saving work of Jesus Christ, and you live for his glory. It is because you were called by God. You were called by God the Father and given to the Son, according to John 6, 37. You were not called because you were from a good family or because you had amazing righteousness or because you were sinless before God or because fill in whatever blank you want to in that sentence. You were called by God because God sovereignly decided to call you to himself. It's a profound mystery. It's a profound mystery that many people, people struggle with my mom was one of them, believing that it is their decision only to follow Christ. And I will let A.W. Pink, writer of the book, The Sovereignty of God, an old and very worth, worthwhile book to read, answer this question. He says, do you say, but the time has come when I was willing willing to receive Christ as my savior. And he says, true, but it was the Lord who made you willing. If you are a Christian here this morning, know this, it is because God, for reasons unknown to us, put his affection on you and called you to himself just like he called Abram to himself. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, I don't ever want to assume everybody here is a Christian. I want to speak to you for a minute. God is calling you this morning. You are not here just because a friend invited you or your parents brought you or you thought, hey, let me go to that church this morning. 
The very fact that you are here this morning is proof that God's active in your life. Jesus Christ came down from heaven with one purpose. And he tells us what that purpose is. In Luke Luke 5, verse 32, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If, If you are not a Christian here this morning, hear the word of God. God is calling you this morning. Jesus is calling you to repentance, and he can do so. He may do so because he has paid the full price for your life. He took all your sin. He took all your guilt. He took all your punishment so that all that you have to do is respond to repent of your sin to ask forgiveness for us, to turn away from your sin and to follow him. I've been praying for you as I prepared this message. Pray that the Father will give you the willingness to respond to his call. Don't resist. Don't resist anymore. Don't delay If you know I'm speaking to you, repent today and you will become a son, a daughter of the Most High. You have never and you will never make a more serious decision than the decision to follow and to respond to the call of God on your life. And I can hear, I can hear the arguments I, I'm just not good enough. You just do not know how deep I'm rooted in sin. You just don't know what my life has been like. God is not interested in someone like me. Listen, God is faithful and he is just and he is loving. And if you come to him to repent, he will never reject you. He is eager, waiting for you to become his son or his daughter. And this is the the day that God is calling you. This is the day that God wants to intervene in your life like he intervened in Abimelech's life. Do not, I beg you, let the opportunity pass. Trust him today to forgive your sins and to save your life. It sounds impossible and you have no idea where to start speak with me or Chris or Matthew or anybody else here after the service ask them help me I don't know what to do may God give you the grace a second parallel that I want to draw here is that God protected his sovereign plan of salvation in Abraham's life even though he was a sinner I don't have to belabor belabor this, right? We've seen already how Abraham has sinned by lying about Sarah and by not trusting God with his life. Not once, but twice. Not in the spur of the moment, but planned. Abraham surely was not a perfect man and yet God was faithful to his covenant with Abraham. God's sovereign plan of salvation through Abraham 
was not thwarted by his sin. Similarly, church, God will protect his sovereign plan of salvation for your life even when you sin. Listen to three scriptures. There are many more like this, but listen. Philippians 1 verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13 verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or listen again to a scripture that we read halfway already, John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. But listen how it continues. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Christian, if you are sitting here this morning burning up with condemnation about your sin, about how far you have drifted from your first love, and you realize, you realize that you are far away from Christ, whom you loved deeply, and you fear that you have sinned so much that Surely you will be sent away with the goats into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, according to Matthew 24, when you stand before God. Hear God speak to you this morning. Whomever comes to me, I will never cast out. Your right standing before God's judgment throw throne one day is not dependent on how well you perform here right now. It is dependent only on Christ's work on your behalf on the cross. Spurgeon says, my looking to Jesus brings me joy and peace, but it is God's looking to Jesus which secures my salvation. Church, we are seldom faithful, but God remains always faithful. Now, of course, this begs the question, Josh, are you saying that I have carte blanche and I can live as I want now and because my salvation is secure, I can just do whatever I want to? I'll let Paul answer you. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, I have three words for you. By no means. You and I are called to live holy lives, to live pure lives. We're called to resist sin. We're called to glorify God in all that we do. Yet, listen, church, by his amazing grace, if we fail while fighting, while resisting, while praying to God to rid us of the sin that we are entangled in, this will not thwart God's sovereign plan of salvation in your life. Amen. It's good news for us. If you are in this category, if you're a Christian and you know that you are far away from the Lord, I want to challenge you today. Be reconciled to God. 
Do not let your condemnation and your guilt keep you one day longer from serving him with all your heart. You were called by him. You were called by him and and you have the right and the responsibility and the joy of being part of God's body, the church, and to function in that way, to love and encourage and exhort one another. You have a function in this body. Now be reconciled to God. Last parallel we see that Abraham, this is amazing to me, Abraham was still the means by which God gave life to Abimelech and his house. You and I are so used to when we sin, we feel so guilty and we want to just run away and hide from God like Adam and Eve did. And yet God chose Abraham and said, I'm going to use you who just sinned against me and and this king. I'm going to use you to bring life to him and his house. The, The parallel is this, church. Just like Abraham, we are still today God's means by which God gives life to a dying world. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making an appeal through us. We, the church, sinful and failing as we are, are still called to be the intercessors and the ambassadors through which God, the the Almighty, makes his appeal to a dying world. We who are sitting here are called to be that. We do not have the right to sit back and watch. We do not have the the ability, the right to have an attitude of, well, my future is secure. This is comfortable. I'm just going to relax back here. Paul would say to you, by no means... You are called, you are called to be salt and light to the world around you. You are called to be disciples. You are called to make disciples. We are called to encourage and exhort one another. We have this amazing privilege and responsibility of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dying world and to call men and women to repentance. What an amazing privilege. This is our calling because we are still today God's means by which he gives life to a dying world. We are called, church, to radical living, to laying down our lives, to follow Christ, to hate sin and love righteousness, a lifestyle that makes no sense in the world's view. But what a calling. What a privilege that we may be co-laborers with Christ to the glory of God and to know that our future is secure And that soon, and very soon, we will see our Savior face.
face to face. So this morning, church, hear this from this passage. You are called by God. If you're a Christian, he has called you. If you're not a Christian, he is calling you today. God's sovereign plan of salvation in your life will not be thwarted, not by your sin, not by anyone else's sin. You are safe and secure in God's hands. And you are the God's means by which he gives life to a dying world. May God do in us that, that we will say, yes, Lord, I want to be your ambassador. I want to take your word to to a dying world and proclaim the excellencies of you. May he do that for us. Amen. Pray with me, please, as the band comes up. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can look at your word and look at a passage that that seems so strange to us that you would allow these things to happen and then realize how kind you are to give us examples like this in your word to let us know that years ago you already planned to speak to us this morning. Lord, I want to thank you that that we are called by you. Thank you, Lord, that even though we cannot understand it, that even though we do not have the righteousness that you called us to yourself, you are so kind to us. Thank you, Lord, for each one of us here that is a Christian, that we can know that your sovereign plan of salvation for us will not be thwarted. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to live righteous, sinless lives, that you will intervene in our lives, but that ultimately we will know that our salvation is based on you alone. It is based on your perfect son's work on the cross on our behalf. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to know that we are your ambassadors, that we will take that charge seriously, that we will not sit and wait for others to do, but that we will be the active church who encourages the men and women all around us where we work and study, go to school, go to gym. Encourage them that the God of the universe loves them, desires for them to follow him. I pray, Lord, that you'll take the truths of this message and apply it to us. We cannot, but you can. It's in your name we pray. Amen.